Hi again, Lucia Palazzi here with uh, Podcast 360, and our topic today is the history of Galena Park. I have a very special guest with me, Mr. Sam Harris. How are you today, sir? I'm doing great. Thanks, thanks for, for being here. No, thanks for inviting me. Um, so let's start from the beginning. Uh, I've only been in the district, this is my seventh year. Um, so I have a lot to learn when it comes to the history of Galena Park. So how did you come about, you know, making this your home? Um, wow. Um, well, a long time ago in the 80s, uh, no, actually, uh, this was my first job here in Galena Park ISD. It's the only place I've ever worked. Um, I went straight through undergraduate and graduate school at um, then Southwest Texas State University, now Texas State, go Bobcats, and was looking for a job back in the Houston area. It's where I grew up. I grew up in Spring Branch and happened to interview with uh, the personnel director at Texas State, Larry Parkerson, and he told me that there was a job open at North Shore High School. I should come and interview with the principal. Um, I won't go through all of that, but I came and interviewed with the principal and subsequently got the job and started as choir director at North Shore High School in the fall of 1985. Um, it was interesting and kind of not what they told me it was going to be. We started off with about 39 kids in our choir program. Um, I kind of call it a choir and a half. I had like uh, nine girls in a beginning ninth grade girls choir and everybody else in one mixed choir class. Um, I actually had to teach below level freshman English because there weren't enough English teachers at the campus. They needed another unit and the person who was supervising principals told the principal, well, make your music people do it. They don't really do enough anyway. Wow. And so the assistant <laughs> band director and I each had to do a below uh, an English class. And I ended up with below level freshman English and he ended up teaching sophomore English because he had more hours in English than I did. But it was because he kept having to repeat English even though I had a 4.0 in English. Um, I knew when I came that I wanted to have a great choir program and build a great choir program because that's the only thing that I knew through through my history. And so we moved from those 39 kids to a little over 200 in my first two years. We got an assistant director. The program continued to grow. We got another assistant wow. director. And kind of by the time I was, um, Oh, about 11 or 12 years into the job, we were at over 500 kids in choir at North Shore. Um, Dr. Neely, Shirley Neely, uh, was our superintendent, and I was kind of part-time coordinator um, doing that and still being head choir director at North Shore. And then I think it was in, yeah, it had to have been like in the, in the spring of 2000, she called me into her office and said, Things are going too, uh, too well. The programs are really big. I need you to do this full time. And I kind of got a gas look on my face and went, oh. and she goes, oh, you're not ready to leave your kids yet. And I went, no, I'm, I'm not. I'm supposed to be a teacher. That's what I'm supposed to do. And she goes, well, go home and think about it tonight and come back tomorrow. Wow, okay. So um, I bet that was a sleepless night. It, yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I came back the next day and said, well, I'll think about it if we do this, this, and this, thinking she would say no to something and I could mm -hmm. stay being right. a teacher. And she goes, okay. So I took the job and 
by October of that first year in administration, I'd already written my resignation. I was supposed to be a teacher and I didn't like it and I knew I couldn't have my job back, so I was just gonna go and be a teacher somewhere and things got a little better and we had a bunch of new teachers and I thought, well, maybe my job is to teach people how to teach. Mm -hmm. And I did that. We started building the programs. The programs on the South Side became just as good as all the others. The standards continued to go up and wow, here I am now 20 years being fine arts director, so 35 years in Galena Park ISD. Wow, super successful. The, the teachers have been. <laughs> so can you give me some insight on the history of our district and you know how did it start? So since you're saying since I've been here so long? For 35 I, years. That I'm so old? <laughs> of course not. <laughs> no, I will, I mean, I was 14 when I started as choir director at North Shore. Um, wow. Um, I mean, a lot of the stuff I've learned is just talking to people over the years about the school district and, and where it kind of came from. Uh, my understanding is um, there was a, a settlement of people uh, over in Galena Park. Uh, and it started, I think, in the late 1800s. And it was mainly a farming and ranching community and they called the community Clinton. Um, there was a school over there um, after the, the turn of the century into the 1900s. And somewhere around the late 20s, that community wanted to incorporate and form a town. Uh, it was called the community of Clinton, and so the Clinton Common School was the um, first grade through 12th grade school over there. Well, they found out there was already a post office in Clinton, Texas, so they were turned down by the state of naming the town Clinton. So they incorporated and renamed the town, or named the town Galena Park after the Galena Signal Oil Company, which was just being built on the then beginnings of the Houston Ship Channel. Well, when the town renamed Galena Park, the school district became Galena Park Independent School District after the name of the town. So that's kind of our origin is the name of Galena Park is after an oil company that was on the ship channel. Well, the, the town was growing and uh, the ship channel area of Houston was becoming industrial and growing and so we expanded schools here and there. And um, about 1941, I believe, um, the Sheffield Steel Company, which was a division of Armco Steel, built the the steel plant, which is no longer a steel plant. I always tell people, if you stand on Uvalde and look down toward the freeway, you see that massive facade of building, that yes. metal building down there. And that was the Armco steel plant. Um, mm -hmm. And it opened in the early 40s and was one of the largest steel plants in the United States and employed thousands of people. And most of the people on this side of the, um, the, the county. Well, um, over like in Woodland Acres and in Jacinta City and Galena Park, places you'll find um, just kind of rows of these same size little homes, mm -hmm. little square homes. Well, those are actually owned by the steel plant and they rented it to employees who worked at the plant. That's fascinating. And so North Shore Steel is still over in the Woodland Acres area. Um, yeah, I think that that's just kind of selling steel. It's not like a steel oh, mill. Okay. So they're they're probably collecting scrap and doing that kind of stuff. But no, it's nothing to related to the original Armco steel okay. that was that massive plant. 
but that plant was there and more and more people came to this side of town and uh, Woodland Acres developed and just sent a city. Um, the little area over by Cimarron homeowned estates was probably one of the first uh, little subdivisions on this side of, I guess back then it was Highway 75 that ran to, oh no, 75 went south, um, Highway 90 that was going to Beaumont. Mm. Um, but the only way really back then before that was there was taking Market Street from downtown Houston through Galena Park over in into Baytown. That was the only way. And Market Street. Yeah, and t hard to think about that as the place that you traveled from Houston to Baytown on. So I-10 wasn't there at the time. No, I-10 wasn't there at oh. all. And um, even I remember when I was a little boy, um, growing up in Spring Branch, I-10 wasn't here in, in the 60s. It was just being developed. So it's, oh. it's kind of weird to think back and fathom Houston without freeways right. and just kind of streets. Um, but I mean, as, as a community grew, the, I guess the, the first part of the North Shore area that I heard was to develop was the Cloverleaf area, which back then people called it Cloverleaf Farms because it was a bunch of family-owned farms in that area. And they started selling off plots of it and people moved in and built houses and, and that area kind of grew. And then Cloverleaf was the first school built on this side of the district, I believe. Um, and then as the Korean War ended um, and, and Vietnam went on, people were coming back from overseas and they a lot of them settled over here in Cloverleaf and Homeland Estates down by Cimarron. Uh, that area, so it seemed the school district had a need for another school on this side. So they opened North Shore Junior High up here in, um, in the, the North Shore area, kind of in the building that we're sitting in right now, the Zotes, Zotes Education Zotes. Center. <laughs> but um, this was kind of the end of everything. Before, before they built this school, there was nothing but woods and swamp over here. So they opened North Shore Junior High and the school district continued to grow. Uh, all the kids who lived over in Cloverleaf and uh, the Cimarron area came here, but they had to get on a bus or drive their car over to Galena Park High School because there was still only one high school in our district. Um, 1960s started coming and there was a need for another school in Galena Park and so they opened and built North Shore Senior High on Holly Park. Um, back then it was a 10, 11, 12 school, um, and it was kind of about the size of Galena Park. They were, they were both back then classified as uh, the biggest in, in Texas size. It would, I, nowadays you would call them 6A schools, but they were, they were no close to that size. But there was a huge rivalry between North Shore and Galena Park, of course, just like any time a school district opens a second school from the mother school, you have like uh, Pasadena High and Rayburn and Baytown Sterling and Baytown Lee and the old Spring Branch High School and Memorial High School. Well, there was Galena Park versus North Shore back then. And people have told me that in that, that rivalry through the, the 60s and up into the 70s, uh, the, the the old jacket guard, the the guys who carried around Mr. Jack in the football game, and the rounders, the uh, the guys who rolled thunder during the football game, would go and they would steal each other's mascots back and forth. Mm -hmm. Like the jacket guard would come and steal thunder, and they would cut off his ear and uh, paint a uh, black and gold GP on the back of him <laughs> like a brand, and the um, and then parade him up and down Clinton Drive. And the guys from North Shore would somehow get Mr. Jack and they would paint um, his 
the backside of him red and white stripes versus black and gold and drive him up and down Wood Forest Boulevard. Oh my gosh. But yeah, that was, uh, I think it was a very healthy rivalry between the two high schools. And uh, I missed all that because I was just in, in junior high and going into high school on the opposite side of Houston. So um, that kind of went on and our, our area continued to grow and the uh, Wood Forest developed kind of the neighborhoods behind um, the current ninth grade campus in, in Zotes Center. Um, those houses grew, the community grew, um, and things were going pretty good up until the early 80s. And I always tell people a couple of really bad things happened, um, not just on this side of town, but, but in Texas. Um, just about the time uh, the bottom fell out of the oil market in the early 80s, like about 1983, uh, the price of oil dropped. People lost their jobs in not just oil fields, but in man in the um, the refineries, in the tool plants, in the the pipe yards that you would see up and down Sheldon Road and Old Highway 90. Well, Armco Steel announced in the fall of '83 that they were going to close the steel plant, and in January of '84, they laid off the remaining workers that were there. 3,000 people instantly lost their jobs that January. Mm. At the same time, the oil bust happened. So it was a very devastating time for Texas, for Houston specifically, but for Galena Park and this side of town because everyone lost their jobs. Wow. And I don't, I don't know where they went, but um, yay, that was about the time that I got out of college in 84, 85, and I got my job at uh, North Shore. So when I came, I remember the um, the newer part of Wood Forest, uh, kind of back behind Cunningham, there were just sections of places that houses stopped being built and people didn't live in these houses because they lost their homes. Um, so there was no job. Uh, it, re it really is. I, I, we made it through that somehow, supposedly, uh, someone told me once that when the steel plant closed, the district lost like a third of its tax base. Oh, yeah. yes. So that, I, they made it through, and our board back then were great stewards, and um, there was still, budgets were good, teacher salaries were really good whenever I came here in the early 80s, um, so they did, they did some good stuff for us. Um, but as Houston recovered and things diversified and the community began to diversify, our, our side of town grew more and more. Um, there was a need for another middle school over here. North Shore Junior High was busting at the seams, but by that time it had become North Shore Middle School and um, the ninth graders had moved over to the original high school. So they built Cunningham, uh, split North Shore Middle School into two schools. Um, I was here about that time. Things continue to grow. We were adding a few elementary schools. Uh, Purple Sage grew, Havard. Um, another bond came up and we built the current North Shore Senior High. For a long time, we were um, uh, just juniors and seniors over there and freshmen, sophomores over here. Um, and that was about, that was. We moved into North Shore Senior January of 99, and so that was about my last year to teach. But throughout the 90s, North Shore was a very, very diverse place. Uh, Galena Park had already, people had begun, grandparents moving out and um, young Hispanic families moving in, so it kind of became the community that it is now. 
But in the 90s, North Shore was very diverse. It was about a third, a third, a third um, Anglo, African-American, and Hispanic. And there was uh, about 10% of our population back in the 90s were um, South Asian, all from the state of Kerala in India. Hmm. And I would say the reason I know this is because it seems like all of those kids were in my choir. Uh, Kerala is one of the most diverse states in South India and has a huge population of um, Christians. And those people uh, came and immigrated to the United States and a lot of them lived in Pine Trails and Woodforce West. And they went to church and sang in choir and so they sang in my choir. And I learned to love Indian food and um, because First, Indian boys are just like anybody else when they're 14 years old. As a teacher, I learned about every bad word there is in Malayalam, <laughs> in the language that they, they speak in South India. But that was, that was a great time to, to teach and work in, in Galena Park ISD in the 90s. But Dr. Neely had other plans for me, so I came to the administration building and was continued to work as our school grew and grew, and we added... Uh, Sam Houston and Williamson Elementary School, named after her. Uh, things got bigger. Um, our programs developed, and Galena Park has become a, a great place to work and a, a great place to teach. Was there a dark side to Galena Park history? Um, I, I, I think that we have to deal with this like the rest of the South and Texas yeah, um, like the rest of Texas, Galena Park had segregated schools, and Galena Park integrated really late, and I, I don't know why, um, but for up until 1970, there were separate schools for African-American kids. Um, it was located over um, in Galena Park in the Fidelity neighborhood, just um, past the Fidelity Manor neighborhood, and those kids had to go to that school. They didn't go to school with everybody else. And that's a, a dark side of Texas that, that we all have to realize happened. Uh, as, as modern people in the 21st century, and I guess myself growing up in, in, in the 70s and 80s, I never understood that. And I, I never understood how that could have happened. But it did. Um, and Galena Manor, the, the neighborhood over there, there were professional people who lived there. There were teachers and doctors and lawyers, but their kids had to go to a separate school. And I think that we have to go back and admit to ourselves that that happened and make sure that, that that is a part of our history that we have to admit. And Fidelity High School, you should, you should do a podcast on Fidelity High School because even though it was a segregated and separate school and what I believe with all my soul is wrong, there were some great things that happened for that kids at that school and they succeeded despite all of that. Um, look into that history of that school and, and explore with some people because Fidelity Manor High School was one of the great um, African-American schools of Texas and I think that we do need to celebrate that part of the darkness, because it, it was a it was a great school. Um, what do you see for the future of this district? Wow, and this area. Um, 
even though our, our neighborhoods have, have changed, and as, as neighborhoods change and we have become an overwhelmingly uh, Hispanic school district serving a, a vast number of kids who are economically disadvantaged, I mean, Texas does. What, 60% of Texas kids are labeled as economically disadvantaged. Um, I think one thing that we've done in Galena Park ISD that other school districts haven't is we never lost what I always call the suburban expectation, that our kids deserve the same education as kids who live in master-planned communities in other part of the city. And our board and superintendents have never lost sight of that. And they support our kids, they support our teachers, they support our programs. So our programs succeed. And it doesn't matter where you come from or if you are a first-generation immigrant to this country, our kids are successful and they are many times more successful than our more affluent counterparts, I think, because we hire great teachers and pay them well and support our programs with money. Um, our, our arts programs wouldn't thrive if it wasn't the, from, for the support of our board and Dr. Williams making sure that we pay everybody's entry fee to contest because they wouldn't have the kids wouldn't have the money to do that when mom and dad are worried about keeping the lights on at the house right. they're not going to think oh i need to pay a fee for solo and ensemble contest so we take care of that for them um, other school districts just to be an art class you have to pay an art fee right. for disposable supplies we don't do that we provide the tools necessary for kids to be uh, successful in, in our visual arts programs as well. Because if you told a kid you're gonna have to pay a $50 fee to be in uh, AP art, they wouldn't be in AP art. Yeah, well we have the book bus that goes around too. Absolutely. And you know that is an opportunity for the kids to read over the summer whereas they might not be able to. Right, uh, I mean when, when mom, like I say, when mom and dad are both working and maybe times uh, older brother or sister is there babysitting the rest of the family, they probably can't even drive, let alone walk from where they right. are to the nearest library. In 104 degree weather. Exactly. And I love what we do with the summer academy days. Those are also free of charge, right? Absolutely. All yeah, the camps that we do for kids, yeah. just to get them involved and... and Out of the house and off the couch and off the street. Doing something in yeah. the summer that's fun and valuable. Those are just tremendous, tremendous things. Um, I, I think we're on the right track to be a light to a, a lot of Texas. Um, I get calls all the time from other uh, fine arts directors and then principals from across Texas. I, I guess because I'm so old and I've been doing this for so long, 25 years in fine arts administration. But um, uh, I mean, I've, I've had leadership in our uh, Texas Music Educators Association, and I'm uh, past president of the Texas Fine Arts Directors Association. But people always call and say, how, how can I do this like you all do in Galena Park? And I said, it, it takes a commitment from everybody. So when, when they look at what we're doing here, the rest of Texas, they're, they're looking in and going, this is something magical that, that you all are doing. And I'm, they want a part of it as their schools have changed. And uh, like I said, you, you can't lose the expectation 
of, of excellence for the kids and, and make excuses. And I loved Dr. Williams when she came up with excellence in all by all for all. Mm-hmm. And I told her the first thing, I said, good gosh, that's what I've been doing my whole life is everybody deserves the best. And my kids here in North Shore and my kids in Galena Park and my kids at Woodland Acres are just as valuable as any kid who lives in Cinco Ranch or in Kingwood. Yeah, it's the people, not the programs. Absolutely. Yep. Thank you so much for your time today, Mr. Harris. It was really great listening to you. Um, Ramble on. No, come back anytime. (laughs) No, I'd love to and, and give people an insight into kind of what we do and maybe why I've stuck around here for 35 years. (laughs) There must be something to that. Exactly. (laughs) Thank you. Bye.